welcome to another edition of Aspen Answered. Today, Brandon and I are joined by Dr. Linda Petlikoff, who served as AS's 17th president from 2002 to 2003. Dr. Petlikoff is a professor emeritus of sports psychology at Boise State University. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Petlikoff. Thank you for having me. We're both very excited for it. So let's start off um, with just giving us like a 30-second elevator pitch bio about where you are now, and we'll get to how you got here in a bit. But where are you now? What are you doing as we, we sit here today? Well, um, right now I'm a LPGA teaching professional and a CMPC. Um, I'm retired from Boise State, have been retired for probably the last 12 years, but uh I've been pretty busy just being kind of playing golf, giving instruction, and working with uh, people that still value my consulting abilities. Excellent. I have, I, I'm just to add, um, you know, we've talked with a number of past presidents that have, they say they're retired, and then there's like a but or an and, and then we hear what they're doing. It's like, I don't know. That doesn't really sound like retirement. And um, I'm not sure that I think that might be the case for you too, Linda. That is just I, well, I think the difference, I think the difference is, is that when you say you retire, you get to do the things you want to do as sure. opposed to you have to do. Sure. So, um, so I think, you know, I think it's just where each of us find our passion yeah. um, after we retire and, I think we still stay involved in some capacity with whatever it is that we've done our lifetime. Well, and I would say that was one of the really cool things about you being on the council um, and one of the privileges of being able to like work together, even though it was briefer than I, I wish it would have been, is, is that to your point of you get to do the things you want to do, and that's a lot of work. Um, and for those that have served in any capacity, you know, service can take up a lot of time. So um, to, to have folks that have stepped back from maybe what was their like primary, you know, place of employment or, or career, but then still find a way to be involved. I think, you know, that's why I kind of joke around about the idea of being retired. Um, being on the council is definitely not how I envision retirement for, for, any, <laughs> <laughs> for anybody, but, um, but so awesome that you're, that you're on that, uh, you know, in that group. Well, I, th I think that's actually from my whole commitment to the field because uh, maybe, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that with, I just happened to catch the year that everything went into place where you had to take the exam <laughs> and I was trying to finish up my LPGA credentials and, that was a sum of money that I invested in that whole process. So, so I was given two deadlines. Uh, I had to take the exam for CMPC, and then I also had to take an exam for and complete everything for the LPGA. It was the same year. <laughs> it's like doing a dissertation there, Linda. <laughs> Wait a second. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, so anyhow, I, so I, I decided I took the test. I didn't pass it, missed it by like 22 points and, and I was kind of going, yeah, there's more to this field than what's being asked on this test. So uh, sure. I was kind of concerned. And then, so then I finished all the stuff. I decided that I was going to devote 2019. So I took the test at the beginning of 2019. And then I said, okay, I'm going to finish all my stuff up for the LPGA. At least I was, I, I did all the steps so that I wouldn't have to worry about losing my status as a consultant. I was just inactive because I didn't pass the test. So, so that's, 
so then in, I think it in, I made a commitment and then I finished that up in 2020, 2020. Yeah. 2020. So, hmm. and so, yeah, I wanted to get involved because I wanted to make sure that how I felt about certification, because I was always a, a, somebody that supported certification through ASP. And I think credentialing is very important. Um, I'm not really happy with, you know, that we're kind of giving the field away and we're kind of going in different directions and, you know, but we'll figure it out. Well, those are the kinds of things that we get to talk about this, uh, this afternoon anyway. So it's kind of exciting that you, that you mentioned that. Um, so, you know, Eric asked a, you know, question about just kind of a, a brief 30 second bio in terms of where you're at now. Um, in terms of how you got here, can you tell our listeners, um, a little bit about like your background in terms of your pathway uh, to where you are today. You know, that's one of the things about the podcast is we're really interested in capturing because I don't think a lot of people know these stories about pivotal figures in our field of which you are, of course, one of those individuals. How did how did these folks get to, to where they're at? Um, and as you reflect on that, any, you know, significant moments that maybe formed or shaped your experience, you know, certainly feel free to um, highlight those as well. But tell okay. us how did you how did you get how'd you get here? Well, I'm gonna say it this way. Simply stated, Dan Gould. <laughs> um, I was pretty fortunate. Uh, I was uh, a teacher. I I was an undergrad secondary mathematics teacher. And so I graduated in December of 72. And um, some friends of mine, I was looking for a job and they said, hey, they're, you know, Wayne Westland School District is looking for a female math teacher who's willing to coach. And I go, okay, I'm, I'm a female. I'm a math teacher. And I kind of had this mentality. I'm a good athlete. Anybody should be able to coach. Quickly learned that that was not the case. So, um, so I started to, I was just going to get a master's degree in coaching. And then this uh, wet behind the ears, younger guy than me showed up at Michigan State, and um, I said, wow, this is kind of an interesting field. And um, I, had to, I had to do some bridging classes because I didn't have the, and, and this is one of the reasons why I'm committed to some of the stuff that should be in the certification, is I had to do these bridging classes in right. order to get into a master's degree that was a sports psychology degree. So I'm very committed to that uh, within the field. So, um, and I think the other thing that I was really surprised with as someone who was pre-Title IX and never had the opportunity to participate, um, to give girls, young girls, an opportunity to start playing sports like the guys do. And they, the school district that I was in, they fully instituted whatever the boys had, the girls got. And so you had junior high school volleyball, junior high school track and field, basketball, and all this other stuff, and the same thing at the high school level. So I just felt like moving in the right direction of where we're uh, supposed to go with the field. Um, I played a lot of sports, parks and rec and stuff like that. I was a pretty good athlete, and so I knew enough to be dangerous probably. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the the thing that I learned the most through those experiences is that everybody that signs up to play on a team have different motives for being involved in sport. And so, you know, some kids, they just want to get their letter or what do I have to do to, you know, get a letter or 
be on a team, uh, socially involved with something. And so I think that actually probably started me on a, which I didn't know at that time was really my master's thesis and my PhD. So not even knowing that I was even going to do the PhD or anything like that. But anyhow, so Dan, I think, was the the person that really uh, instituted, you know, or kind of introduced me to the whole field and everything. And so everybody knows I'm a bleed green and white. So I started taking a master's, that master's degree. And I was 1976. Dan was teaching an extension class in the Detroit area, Birmingham um, extension. And I was sitting in this class and here are some of the classmates that I went to school with. Oh man. Okay. There was this uh, doctoral student. I think her name was Maureen Weiss. Um, And then sitting next to me or around me was, you know, Thelma Horn. So I've just gone, you know, okay. And then I, so I've got to know those two individuals quite extensively through my opportunities. And um, I just, number one, I never thought I'd get a PhD. It wasn't even on my radar screen, but um, so Dan invited me after I, I finished, let me just finish about the master's degree. So um, I think I decided to take a sabbatical from my teaching job. So I took a semester off of teaching, 19, I think it was 1982, and finished up my master's. I was involved in a lot of their research programs for the Institute of uh, Youth Sports. Um, Through that process, I got to know Deb Feltz, wrote an article with Deb Feltz, got to know Marty Ewing, um, started attending conferences and as a master's student in then Dan extended an invitation. He said, if you ever want to go back and get your PhD, I'll take you on as a student. So I thought about it, thought about it, and um, tried to explain to my parents why I was giving it a paying job to go and <laughs> money. And they just couldn't understand that. And I was moving out of the state. So I was the first person in our family to move out of the state. I went to Kansas State. And then I ended up coming back to uh, Illinois. So... Uh, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. And I think the funny part is when I finished my PhD, so there was who was in my class? Ken Hodge, Kirsten mm-hmm. Peterson, um, uh, Howard Hall. I mean, we just had a boatload of people that were, you know, good people in the field and still stayed in the field for quite a long time. So I, there was this job at Boise State in um, – Dan asked me, why am I not writing you a letter of recommendation for the job at Boise State? Who the heck wants to live in Boise, Idaho? (laughs) And you can attest, Mr. Martin. That's right. Um, And so I think, you know, the one thing I admire about Dan is Dan always served as a mentor, and the relationship that he and I have and everything like that is just, it's just unique. And it's, it's just really kind of cool. And he gave me one, one bit of advice when it got to this, am I going to apply, not apply? And he said, you know what? Your first job will take you anywhere. Your second job is where you might want to be. Hmm. 
And so I've shared that many, many times with some of my students about moving and doing this and doing that. And, and I'll, I, I pretty much stayed here and I love Boise. Boise is a great place to live. Don't tell too many people. There's already a, a flood of people coming into Boise. Keep that under wraps, Linda. You yeah. know that. Yeah, they're destroying the foothills and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. oh. Well, I love that story because it, it, I mean, I came in and I basically took Linda's position between someone else. And so I feel a huge debt of gratitude for what you were able to establish at Boise State. I see just your fingerprints through everything, whether it be the curriculum or my involvement in organizations. And so I just, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you here because I am just so grateful of what you were able to establish over your time at Boise that, that let someone step in and really um, go running through it. And, and I just am always in your debt. So thank you, Linda. Oh, thank you. So um, we want to transition a little bit more. I love the, the pathway of, you know, I think it's ironic that Dan said that first job and then it ended up being the only job. I think that's a, an irony that's there. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to think about, you know, you were in the professional realm, you went back to school and then you were in the academic realm. You were at Boise State a while. Tell us about kind of the field. What was the field like as you were preparing to go into this next level? What was the field like before your presidential service? What, what things stand out? What things were really relevant to you as you were going through that process? Well, number one, it was very young. Uh, I mean, nobody ever, I mean, you're talking 1976 is the first time I take a class. And when it's just when start, things are starting to emerge and, you know, the body of knowledge was starting to be, uh, starting to evolve. And I think one of the reasons why um, I got a leg up on some of the applicants with um, uh, the job at Boise State is because um the ISMI, which is Idaho Sports Medicine Institute, was very curious. And I actually had to interview, I had an interview session with them. Hmm. And um, do you know anything about the psychological aspects of injury and recovery and all this stuff? And I said, not really, but I said, it's, I've, I've seen presentations, I've read articles about it. It's a kind of a new area that people are evolving and starting to uh, get into. Would you be willing to work with us um, if we need you? And I go, sure, you know, not a problem and everything like that. You know, interviewing with uh, the, depart uh, the uh, Department of Athletics was also another one. You know, there's, well, you know, what do you do and all this other stuff. And so it was... It, it was pretty much that I had the connections made so that as the field evolved, I could help out a lot of the questions that I had when I was being interviewed for the job. So, so I think young field, um, body and knowledge not really established. I mean, here we are 85 when ASP was formed. And I attended that first conference and it was a very interesting, you know, kind of tit for tat. What about NASPA? You know, you all, all you applied people are going to go off and go do something and everything like that. So, so it was a lot of kind of the evolution of the whole kind of field that uh, was kind of, it was exciting because you were at the ground floor. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was pretty good. What about the time right before your presidential service, Linda? It's, I love hearing about how that progression or how that kind of viewpoint has changed. Talk about the field right before you took over as, as president. Well, some people may not 
remember, I was also the publications director. So I was a publications director. I think it was uh, 93 to 95. So I would say that's where I got my good introduction to the organization, serving on that particular board. And um, when I, I can't remember who I worked with, but there were a couple people that, you know, were kind of instrumental and they were kind of, you know, the higher echelon of the field at that particular time. So, so I learned a lot about the organization then trying to make things always work a little bit better than they were set up. And, and I instituted a couple things when I was the publications director that made it easier for the next publication directors to, to actually, uh, uh, work in a more efficient, like I figured out how not to pay anybody, or if you pay them, you pay them a little. Go talk to your campus across and if, see if there's a, a design person that could, you know, serve this. This serves as her, uh, what do you call those, uh, internships or something to that effect. So she had a portfolio of, I think it's nine um, newsletters when she got out of school because she was uh, working with me with the publications director. So you had to read everything, and I think that's where I kind of kept up with what was going on in the field and the progression of the field. So then that's 95, leave for a little bit. And then when I was asked to be president, I mean, number one, I didn't, again, I didn't I didn't think about, it wasn't some desire that I had, <laughs> and, but I got asked, and, you know, I, I've, again, I feel very fortunate about the people around me that helped serve as my mentors during that whole process. The president, uh, let's see, had, I wrote them down because I wasn't, I couldn't remember which one um, in the order that they were. So uh, it was Gene Williams was the past president that year. Tara Scanlon was the president and Penny McCullough was in the president elect's position. So, I mean, there you go, three top females in the field and you're working with them. But the thing was, that was, really interesting is they did everything. I mean, I remember when Al Pettipaw, you want to talk about a funny story. Um, you know, Al was the science, uh, I can't remember what it was at that time. Uh, I can't remember what the title was, but I know it's a little bit different now. Um, but he was in charge. He was the outgoing person. And so he had to actually work with Jane to do the program. And Jean's counting plates, counting number of people that's going to be at the banquet. She's making sure that every itemized list. And so if she would ever call um, L, L to, to discuss something, his wife would say, Kathy go, it's that woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, here we are, we're, we're this organization. This is, uh, you know, like in the early uh, 2000s, we're an organization that is still run by a bunch of volunteers. Yeah. There was no executive director. There was no company that was taking care of our marketing or anything like that. So, so it was, Jean was doing everything. Penny, um, I think when she was in one other position, she was able to get somebody that helped with the coordination of all of our conferences. It, I think it was Centennial Conference uh, Coordinators or whatever the name was. And then somebody else was hired to do our website so that, hmm. you know, we could have that. And, you know, so I, 
it was just kind of crazy at that particular point in time. So, Linda, you said someone asked you to run. Do you remember who asked you or what that was like? Uh, you know, I want to say it might have been Tara. Okay. Yeah, I think it was Tara. Hmm. Interesting. So that's about two, probably 2000 or so. You get that phone call or email or, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, joke around, even though he's not on here, um, Craig Risberg, as we were doing his interview, his phone rang, but it was a landline and he goes, Hey, that's a, in case you didn't know, like that's still <laughs> my phone. Cause you don't hear those very often. So. I was just thinking of like how weird it is to have someone else <laughs> yeah. answer and say, Oh, it's for you. Right. Was, Everybody's got their so, cell phones now. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was so, it was so funny when it, when that happened during the, the interview and, um, and he, he mentioned that and we were laughing, but so however the, the call came in, um, what led you to like say yes or motivated you to decide, okay, I'm going to, you know, throw my hat in the ring for this and just kind of, kind of go from there. I think, I mean, obviously it was, you know, the, the, the people that were on the board at that particular point in time were people that I looked up to, I admired, I liked what they did. There seemed like there was a connection of people, um, Damon, I think at that time was the certification chair somewhere around there. So a lot of talk about certification. I was really into the science and practice of sports psychology. So there were a lot of things that were starting to move in a way that certification was going to be much more important than it was. It was letters after your name, as far as I'm concerned, when we first came out. And, And most of them came from, most of us came from, uh, the subdiscipline in kinesiology as sports psychology. Right. So, but I also recognize that there are limitations to that particular uh, thinking that you're a one-dimensional type of program. Um, yeah, there he goes. Um, <laughs> uh kind of organization. And, and I think the other thing probably that was instrumental in, in what I believed in was the fact that the 1983 article by um, the USOC, I'm closing the door. Well, every, everyone's, everyone has an opinion. So I just, I wanted to encourage it. Um, What's that? I said, everyone has an opinion or is a critic. And it's not like you had another one in the background there. Yeah. So, so I think the 1983 article, I think was, has really guided a lot of my, you know, we do research, we do uh, education and we can consult, uh, do consulting. Um, And I think those fine lines were, I, I knew I could do the research. I knew I could educate people about mental skills I knew where my lines were drawn in the sand when it came to dealing with any kind of uh, mental health issue that was beyond my training. So, so I thought we were moving in the right direction and I thought it was a good time to get involved at that level and hopefully kind of guide us through that whole process. Absolutely. Yeah. So Linda, you mentioned that a little bit about certification being a key component of that time, like right when you were coming in, was that what you were kind of hoping to accomplish in your time as ASK president is to, to go through that process or were there, was that plus other things? I know it's such a short window, but what were you hoping to accomplish while you were president? 
well, what I wanted to accomplish and what, what put the brakes on my accomplishment are two different things. Um, <laughs> no, I, think, I think strengthening the uh, certification, trying to make sure that anybody that was practicing had some sort of credentials to say that, you know, you are a sports psychology person, uh, not a psychologist, a sports psychology consultant who has an understanding of sport, theory, practice, and all of that. And that's, and whether that ended up broadening who we were trying to attract to the certification, or if it was going to, you know, maybe eliminate people. So I think it was the broadening that was really making, you know, kind of my idea. Um, and I think, I think Sam Zizzy kind of opened my eyes to a kind of thing, a couple things, because he was one of my, editors on the publication uh, when I was the publications director. And so, so I think having people that you start to interact with and it, you know, it, instead of, I don't want to talk to those people, um, you know, just trying to gain an understanding of what is it that how we can work together became real important. Hmm. It's amazing to me to hear, like you started this by saying you're planning conferences, you're doing everything. There's no executive director. It sounds like even website was there. And so having any time to do the things that actually are shaping the organization seems like, unfortunately, it almost becomes like secondary. And so you mentioned you had a big list. If you were to say these were my top accomplishments as ASK president, knowing that there is such a time constraint on that, what would you say you accomplished as president? I got us to having an executive director and hiring an association management company that's big that's a huge the accomplishment was, the first hire i don't know i had reservations but it was like we didn't have any clout in the in the sure market. so right. we needed to get somebody and jim whitehead i don't know if you guys know that name uh uh acsm guy uh, executive director for them he was instrumental in in damon burton helped coordinate a lot of that connection uh, with him. And so we started to, you know, talk about that. And so we brought him in, he helped us get to hiring an executive director. And it was a small operation. Um, and it served us well for probably two years to three right. years. I can't remember exactly how long they were there, the Reese organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this would have been, uh, I think it was, yeah, tw tw it would have been 2002. Yeah, something around there. Hmm. And then Marty came in and she maintained that relationship. Uh, and then I don't know who the next person was, but there started to be some concerns that this organization couldn't handle what we needed or right. couldn't offer what we needed. Hmm. It's interesting, you know, for... Um, I pretend that it's the tens or hundreds of thousands of listeners that we have <laughs> for our podcast um, that, you know, for some of our you know, student members, um, ECPs that don't remember a time and ask when there wasn't a management company. Um, the other thing that doesn't come up, you know, frequently just in, in conversation, um, but I find myself thinking about more and more as we as we interview other past presidents is uh, the the idea of a strategic plan um, and when we ask or when Eric asks you know the, 
that question about the main accomplishments, I think about like a, a presidential trio and you're president for one year. And as he said, it's such a small window mm -hmm. to get stuff done. And then there's this continuity piece that every, you know, president or president elect maybe has their own agenda of what they would like to do. And that may or may not be consistent with what their predecessor was doing. And so, you know, um, I imagine that at a point in time, um, it, it gets to be a little bit chaotic in terms of what are we working towards and what are our goals and what do we want to accomplish. And, um, and so, you know, to hear, you know, uh, hear you talk about these pretty significant accomplishments, um, as have other, you know, of your predecessors and colleagues, um, without the framework or something of, you know, similar to, you know, a, a formal strategic plan, I don't know if people necessarily realize like how difficult that has to be. Um, you, you know, um, not that the strategic plan is, is anything and everything, but when you think about the blueprint that it can lay out, if it's done right and it's done well, um, my goodness, uh, uh, the lack of that really, you know, you really are banking on the people that are in these roles to, uh, and the membership, obviously, um, right. to be able to, to get stuff done, um, and their judgment, you know, that's kind of guiding them, um, and their experience. So, wow. That's well, you know, it's funny cause I mean, I, I can't believe I found some of this. I never found my presidential address. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, I think that was, a, actually, I think my presidential, presidential address, in fact, Bob Harmon said, hey, I'm sorry I didn't get anything about, you know, your accomplishments, you know, and I said, I just saved the organization. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I had nothing, I mean, if, if I look back and I'm just going like, you know what, I didn't accomplish one thing about the science and practice of sports psychology, but I did realize that we have got to do something. Because for me, when I was trying to fill my slate of candidates that were supposed to take over the next group, I couldn't get anybody to run. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. too much work. That's yeah. I, I can't do that. And so I think that was, so people realizing that they couldn't have a faculty job and the demands that, you know, research, teaching, service, Service was going by the wayside. Sure. And so you had to figure out what do I want to do and how can I accomplish it and everything like that. Um, and that's what I think what I realized is because it was the same thing that was going on in universities at that time. You know, more demands for what they wanted you to do as opposed to what you could do or wanted to do. Right. And, you know, you ask about the strategic plan. I'm going because one of the things, that's the thing that uh, Jim Whitehead had helped. I found the three letters, the three articles that I wrote for the newsletter mm -hmm. and um, strategic plan was underway. And so he was directing that, that strategic plan for the organization at that particular point in time. And then the other thing that a lot of people may not know of is... We actually had um, an organizational crisis in financial, pro not a problem, but a hmm. financial issue. Sure. Uh, there was a transfer between treasurer and uh, I think it was treasurer secretary were together. And right. so 
there was no record of anything for the previous uh, secretary treasurer to when it transferred over to Karen Kogan. She calls me one day and she goes like this. She goes, I don't have anything that I can start with. I'm oh like, what my gosh. You don't have anything you can start with. And she goes, well, I got all these boxes, but I don't have what I need to start or continue our finances. <laughs> and I'm just going, whoa. And I think Sue Ziegler was on uh, the e-board at this time. She was instrumental in helping us through that whole process. She, uh, you know, I think she was a dean at the time. I can't remember when. I think she was a dean. And she said, Linda, you got to do a organizational and financial audit. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Organization. Wow. And I said, okay, so what do we have to do? And so um, – we were able to get everything, and the good news was is that we hired uh, this uh, somebody to to do the financial review, and we came out really good. And then Karen could start with a fresh slate, and and that's you know that's when it really started to say we've got to hire a management company. Yeah. So I think that's that was the instrumental um, issues that we had to deal with at that time. So that's why. So everything as far as the science and the practice just kind of went off to the way. So save the organization became the yeah. primary goal. Oh, man, that's crazy. Oh. You know, what's what's so ironic is that same year that, that there was a financial crisis. I got a brand new car, if I'm not mistaken. So completely unrelated aspects, completely right? Un, completely when you unrelated. pull up to that ass conference in your new uh, Jaguar running That's correct. Around. That's correct. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Asp. No, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I can't. What a, I mean, that's the last thing as a president or as an executive oh, board you want to hear from someone is I have nothing. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not even just a logistical nightmare. It's a, well, crisis is probably the best word to use to describe, yeah. you know, what it, what it Linda, is. Did that happen before you were, you were stepping into the presidential role? Did you know about that? Or that was after you were, you were already elected? I was already elected. And okay. I don't know if it was, Karen became elected. She was elected the same year that I was elected. And so she and I were serving the same three-year term. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, she was just, or she came in the year after I was, okay. So I was the president. And so hmm. she, she was just, I don't know if I could do this. And so yeah. then how do you get somebody that wasn't elected and all this other stuff? But it, I, I highlighted one thing when I went and I kind of reviewed some of the documents and, and I think this is what happened during my presidency the days of a completely voluntary organization are limited. The leadership of ASS and its membership must be proactive in shifting from a research society model to a professional organization model and how to do the business of ASP. And I would say that coming back, and I mean, I would... There was a point in time when I retired, I kind of drifted away from ASP for a little bit just because um, I was doing all the LPGA stuff. And if I have to say one thing, I think we've accomplished that shift. Hmm. Maybe to a fault, because I don't think I see the science as much as I used to. But I also think that 
I think we're protecting the field with the certification, the CMPC, um, holding people accountable. Uh, this is how you practice. I mean, all of those things. I think so. We're I think we're doing a better job. And what I've seen being on the certification council is the number of people, the experienced practitioner application was brilliant. And if you can draw those people in that have been doing this and bring them into your organization, you've accomplished a lot. And so a lot of the baseball guys, uh, I can't remember who wrote something to say that uh, um, Major League Baseball is not allowing anybody in the dugout unless they're a CMPC. Yeah. That tells you that you've, you've made it as yeah. far as the importance of the certification, the CMPC. Linda, I have a question for you, and it's something that I've never really thought of because you talking about that management company or just a management company coming in in general, right? It sounds like there's so many benefits to it. You know, you can actually have time to do the things that you want to do. It makes it a little bit more professionalized. Do you think anything's lost by bringing in a, a management group, whether it be from the e-board or from the membership as general, or do you think it's it's all positive? I think it's mostly, I would say probably 90% positive. Um, I think, and I think that might've been a difference between the first organization and this organization. I think they understand us. And I think that's very important. Um, and you're not just a client. I don't feel like a client with yeah. our association management company. Yeah. They're there to help you and everything, you know, and Emily, Emily working with the certification uh, council, all I have to do is if I get an email from Emily, Emily's done all the work. Behind <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That question. Yeah. And so it becomes easier to be in my role. I mean, I think of uh, Vicky who was in this role for what, five years and, you know, trying to figure out what it is that they need and everything like that. I mean, it's totally different for me than it was for her. So, and I think that's the evolution that I think ASP has always been in is how can we better make it better for the next person um, and understanding the role that they're assuming and everything. So, and then, I mean, we fell behind with all of our reviews uh, last year. Um, so now I've kind of been, you know, the hammer that's laying down on the reviewers and everything like that. And, you know, I've created a systematic way to keep track of uh, applications. We have turned, I think it was 16 weeks for a review process to happen into four. Wow. So, but again, that go, that relies on volunteers. Right. So if we can get members to say, yeah, I'd like to be a reviewer. They have to be a CMPC. But we got to get the reviewers because unlike uh, uh, Vicky had five teams, I think she had five teams. And then, so now I jumped up to actually um, six teams, but the difference is we're not doing the experienced practitioner anymore. That's all done. It, it ended at the last year. Uh, we're still people that are continuing to uh, go through the process Uh are still there. But I mean, the bottom line is, I think we're doing a much better job of uh, keeping track and getting getting reviews done in a timely fashion. I mean, yeah. I mean, oh, go ahead, Eric. I was going to say, it sounds like with that management group, because I, I just think of like, 
anything you're trying to do. And there's so much been so much with like the nudge effect of like every time you have to do a little bit more, you're going to lose people. Right. And so that management group almost like smooths all those edges. So it's hard enough to get volunteers as it is, but if you're asking them to do volunteer work and then also do all of these other things that go into that, that almost smooths all those rough edges in where it's still hard to get volunteers, but at least now they're coming in and doing a specific job and not doing all of that work that leads to that job. Right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And really, I think if we trace all what you're saying, now, Linda, back to like your presidency, it really does paint the, paint the or a picture of how things have evolved or the maybe what your vision was at the time of what you'd like to accomplish is not a one year uh, this is not a one year goal i mean this is, now we may not know how many years or maybe it's it takes longer than we would have expected but it sounds like you've kind of been able to see although things are not finished yet i realize a, a real um you know a, a little bit of a, a, a broader timeline of, of how things have kind of changed um, yep. in very specific areas that were important to you when you really first got involved in, in the organization, which is, I think, a pretty unique, uh, because you're still heavily involved in your current role, as you're describing, I think a pretty unique perspective. Um, I don't know too many members that would be able to um, comment on on what you're able to to talk about with the same degree of like specificity and um, with the examples and you know all about this one particular area in terms of like certification and and, and management. Um, I think that's pretty um, pretty remarkable. Um, obviously, it says a ton about your commitment uh, to the field and how much we we certainly owe you. And it sounds like Eric owes you quite a bit too monetarily. Uh, what? <laughs> um, from what it sounds like, so um, so taking a break from all of, of this really like really cool and important stuff, um, we like to kind of you know insert a little like story time um, for for our listeners too. It's a lot of fun for us and, and hopefully for our guests as well, um, where you have an opportunity to share with us maybe something that kind of stands out to you as a, a fun story of your time in the field. Um, it can relate to the field, it can relate to ask, but something that, you know, you find yourself thinking about that, um, you know, brings a smile to your face and, and just reminds you of the really, you know, the, the more pleasant and exciting things um, that you associate with, um, you know, being a member of ASP. And you get bonus points if you name other ASP members. The points don't matter because we don't really, there's no prize, uh, but we will award them anyway, since we are all very competitive. Um, we want to make sure there's a way to honor that. But um, what uh, comes to mind when you think about uh, those types of stories, if anything? Oh, I could I could probably tell you so many. I remember the first time Dan sent me out to do uh, cover something that he was asked to do, and I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if he assigned things based on he didn't want to do them, or would <laughs> oh, be a great experience for you. So it was, you know, like. What it's, are you really doing here? It was framed up as this would be a wonderful professional development yeah. opportunity. So it was the first time I ever had to go out. And so he says, oh, I've got this opportunity. And um, it's you have to do a presentation on, how, you know, the, the, the science behind how people learn. And I just went, okay. And it's a dressage group. I go, what's dressage, Dan? And he goes... It's horses. I said, how am I supposed to teach horses? <laughs> <laughs>
He says, it's not, it's not how you teach the horses. It's you're with the people. <laughs> teaching the horses. I go, oh, okay. So kind of like a coach's thing, right? And he goes, yes. And I go, thanks. Man. Well, the funny part is, is, so I'm doing the class that I, I uh, taught for you this spring. Yeah. So I'm, of course, I have to learn how to use a webcam. Uh, I forgot that I was going to be in Arizona. Didn't end up being in Arizona. I mean, it was a hilarious thing with your class. So I, I'm telling stories and everything like this. And so then, yeah, the first time I ever went out and talked to somebody, I had to talk to a dressage people. I do, I do dressage. I mean, so this person, one of my students, was a, she was so thankful that I said it. She said, oh, I can use this stuff when I teach. So she's employed a lot of the stuff that we talked about. So oh, that's cool. <laughs> so I remember that one with Dan. Um, then being the only woman in a, a group with wrestling coaches, Dan put me in those positions as well. <laughs> Um, but I think the funniest story is with Gene Smith, uh, Gene uh, Williams, Gene Smith's a golfer. Sorry. Um, so Gene Williams. So here's this woman that you've interacted with over the field. She is always dressed to the nines. She knows everything. And now you are the president elect and she's the past president. She's organizing the whole thing. We're in uh, Montreal planning something. So, so Jean, and she reminded, oh, she always reminded me of my Aunt Donna because Aunt Donna was exactly the same way. So anyhow, so she had double respect here. Um, so anyhow, so we end up going out to dinner uh, with the e-board in Montreal and all of a sudden Jean pulls down her, glasses so she could read the menu <laughs> and the woman asked would you like anything any beverage so she's looking at the menu i think i'll have one of those labbits <laughs> oh. I went, oh my god i just lost all respect for this woman. Know what a labats is <laughs> <laughs> oh it was, I mean, it was, that's great. So that was probably one of the things that just sticks out in my mind all the time. I Did think you, another time in, and actually this, this story came up just recently when we were uh, playing golf and last Friday, as a matter of fact. And so somebody was driving the cart really, really fast. And that conversation went down the tubes really fast. And I said, yeah, it's kind of like when I was in Russia on the Black Sea with the U.S. Uh, Yacht Racing Union. And Dan had sent that, set that one up for me when I was at Illinois in 1986. And um, so anyhow, I get on a 14-foot aluminum boat in the Black Sea with the Russian driver that doesn't speak English. Oh, wow. And so he's trying to motion to me, you know, asking the question that I finally figured out. Cause I said yes. And then I was frightful. Cause I said, yes. <laughs> was, do you want, do you like to go fast? <laughs> as soon as he opens the throttle, it's like, Oh my God, that's what he asked me. I'm going to die. In the <laughs> so, but anyhow, but I mean, learning things that you never would have thought about when we talk about uh, professionalism and confidentiality and all these other stuff. And you get it, you get a, person that hired you uh and okay 
tell me who I should put in the game. And I go, excuse me? And he goes, well, yeah, based on all that stuff that you did, can you just tell me who I should actually put in this match? <laughs> and I'm just going, I think that's, that's, and I'm, I'm not even, I don't have my PhD or anything. I'm just like newbie to this whole thing. And I'm just going like, yeah, I think that would be breaking confidentiality. <laughs> so anyhow, but I mean, it's just wow. the little things that you learned um, either by happenstance or by experience. And I did, I mean, I could tell you stories about Mo. I remember Mo when she was given uh, Dan's talk uh, when he retired and Mo's telling, you know, she did a beautiful job of reminiscing, you know, her experiences with Dan as her, as his first PhD student. And she made fun of herself by talking about being at a class where she was trying to wrap up the cord she got her arm stuck in the cord and Dan had to teach her how not to have that happen again. But I said, no, I was in that class. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's just, I mean, the people that you've met, the places that you've been, uh, the, I, I think, I think I look at myself and I just say commitment to learning progress and just, Making the making the whole place a better place. Hmm. I love that. Love it. Yeah. So Linda, you've touched quite a bit on this idea. You mentioned kind of that the field has become more professionalized, and you said that was um, mostly a positive. You also have kind of in passing kind of remarked maybe there's some negatives with that as well or with other aspects. And so I want to get a kind of a, a thousand foot view on this. So in what ways do you feel like the field itself has evolved? And then on that evolution, what are your thoughts, both good and bad, about that? Well, I think for the most part, I think it's a positive. I think you're more, more and more people are recognized as CMPC and getting involved with that. There's different avenues that you can take for the people that were in the field, the experienced practitioner, for people that are in counseling psychology that see this as a potential. Maybe they've been doing sports psychology, but now it would be better if they had this credential in their practice so that they can uh, actually uh, practice legitly or whatever you want to call about that. Um, but I think we have a crossroads. I think we're at a crossroads. I think we're at, an, you know, like when I had to worry about the association management, I think we're at another crossroads. I think the uh, slippery slope um, is the mental health um, kind of balancing if, you know, are we talking about mental performance, which to me infers for the most part, you're normal, there's nothing going wrong. Uh, you just need help with, you know, managing your anxiety and all that other stuff. Okay. And I'm actually working with a young person right now who earlier this year, she asked me the question that she'd like to go on an antidepressant. And I just was like freaking flipping out. Because I'm just going, number one, I'm not trained. And number two, uh, I know I won't cross that line. So I contacted a friend of mine who was in counseling. And, um, well, you know who it is, uh, Eric. And so I just, Eric, I need some help. Can you, can, here's the situation. Can you, can I direct this person towards you, you know, to you? And so uh, he said, yeah. So I, I was pleased to find out because then I, 
contacted the parent who had already sent me a check for the next four series that we were going to work together. And I said, I won't cash this check unless I know I'm going to see your daughter again. And so she goes, oh, yeah, just cash it. I know you're going to be back and talking to her. So I met with her like a week and a half ago. And, you know, I said, hey, did you talk to that referral that I gave you? And yep. And I'm good. And you feel good about wherever you're at? She goes, yep, it's it's really. And she was going through a whole bunch of stuff at that sure. particular point in time, changing schools, uh, not liking the coach, quitting, hadn't played softball. And all. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. So, um, but she finally, this time when we met, we uh, she finally realized that she needed, I said, is there anything that you want me to help you with? And yeah. And then she talked about her nonverbal communication and, uh, and I was just like, I, I, I think my whole face lit up because it was just like, she finally realized that she says a lot nonverbally that actually creates half of the drama that she gets herself into. Hmm. So, so I gave her a couple tips and I said, well, now you said the coach said something about this and, Yes. And so I said, okay, elicit the help of your coach. Just say, you know what? I want to make a change. And this is how you can help me make that change. So, so they, we set up a little thing that she could actually do with the coach and hmm. I'll check in with her next week about whether she did or how she did it and stuff like that. So, so I think knowing, I think knowing the paths that you can be sucked into, but you know that you don't want to cross. So you know how you have to know that line in the sand, given your credentials. And I think the ASP standards and ethics and all that stuff, it, the first couple of things say, if you're not trained, refer or find out, you know, how to do whatever it is you're going to do. So it's it, boundaries and competencies are two of the most important words that we can have uh, for young people. Um, I think students nowadays are more prepared to go out and do the practice of sports psychology. Mm. I'm a little bit worried about a lot of the line online classes. Um, had a situation brought to my attention where somebody from an online program showing up and just asking if they could be mentored. Can you mentor my experiences? And you and I have had both conversations about this. For sure. And so but you don't have a relationship like I had with Dan and, you know, putting you in a place where you experience, but be safe and you have that connection. So, so I think some of those situations are going to be problematic if we aren't very careful. Um, let's see what else. Um, yeah. The mental health one I think is going to be on us more so than we think. Yeah. And changing the constitution to include mental health is changing the organization as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Well, that's actually a good um, kind of segue into a similar question that Eric just asked in terms of the evolution of the field. Um, when you think about ASP and then also the field, where are we going, you know, as you look down the road? And that might be one of the areas we're going, not to say that it's including mental health, but that mental health is going to be one of the areas that um, ASP is going to, to 
figure out, you know, what's our role in, in, in that piece. But where, where do you see, when you think about ASP in the field as we move forward, um, what, what do you see happening in terms of the direction we're moving? I think mental health, it, it, personally, I don't think our arguments have changed from the first time that we had the start of ASP in Jekyll Island or conferences after that point where it's always been uh, a psych person versus kinesiology people. And the tit for tat back and forth, you're not qualified, we're qualified, you don't know the field, all this other, that argument has not changed to this day. Hmm. It's still that argument of who's qualified. And that's why I think the CMPC is so important because it brings a lot more people into the field but what the most important question is, is are you doing mental health under the CMPC? Mm-hmm. That is probably not what you should be promoting. Right. You should be promoting your PsyD or whatever qualifications that you got from that aspect of your training. But if you want to go out, and I'm going to say this, not everything is a diagnosis. Sure. And I think that's the other problem. If if you have anxiety, is it a clinical or is it a you know a management issue? I mean, is it it? I need these skills to manage this. It's not that I'm clinically anxious. And and there's a crisscross sometimes that psyches or people that are trained in the psychology, everything is a diagnosis before I can actually help you. Right. So, and and submit my payment for you. Because I mean, that's another thing that actually happens too, is if someone, I had somebody call me and she said, I got your name and all this other thing. She goes, no, uh, can I charge my insurance? And I go, nope, because I'm not a licensed psychologist or counselor. And so I believe in education and training versus diagnosis. And sometimes, I mean, People just don't understand that distinction. Right, right. It's not always a problem that needs a fix. It's a self-awareness that I do X. And I think one of the best things that Al Pettipaw ever, uh, you know, taught me as far as a metaphor or thing to think about is, can you catch yourself in mid-screw up? And I went like, hmm. So there are things that we do that trigger a response. And if I would pay attention to when that thing happens and then how I react, I probably would be able to manage myself a lot better than in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. So to me, the first thing I always work with when I'm talking about uh, working with people is self-awareness. And that's why it was so refreshing to see that this kid finally realized that she was a nonverbal communicator, but she never dealt with it. So, so the bottom line is what's, what are you aware of? It's kind of like when I play you in golf, Eric. <laughs> oh, no. or when, I play, when I play my nephew in golf, I can get in his head so fast, but because I know it's his triggers. I know his triggers. So <laughs> going into my golf game is a whole nother podcast. Let me tell you. I've seen you play. <laughs> Gosh, Eric, you have a terrible 
poker face for for golf it sounds like oh. yeah well, yeah that's true that's okay i'm just out having a nice time what what's the old saying that golf is a great way to ruin a nice walk isn't that what yeah. they say yeah I said that one. Yeah. <laughs> was it ben hogan uh i don't know i can't yeah. remember but oh but I do have to say, as far as students and everything, I think it is an organization we're going to have to deal with that issue. And I don't think it's, I think it's the realization we have been doing it all the time that we've been in, in association. That balance point has always been there. It's never going to go away. If you get the, you know, if you lean one way of getting all of those individuals on your e-board or the people that are the decision makers, it's going to be there as it almost is. Okay. Without the support of the membership, but the membership is changing. So people that are more uh, kinesiology, mental skills, training, all of those people may end up on the short end. So I I think it's a, it's going to be a balancing act, but I think it's still a matter of what is your credential and what are you allowed to do? Hmm. Well, Linda, you, you mentioned students, which is a nice, nice uh, segue here. And so usually we have, um, our outstanding student. She's preparing her thesis defense. So Katie, here's a shout out. Good luck. Um, but what, what she always asks, and I think it's, it's a really relevant question to those people listening to the podcast is what advice do you have for students and new professionals entering the field then? It sounds like you have some thoughts on that. And so we'd love to hear those. Well, number one, I think they're better prepared than any of us older people. Um, cause I think the field is different, um, in a lot of ways. Um, but I always ask my students when they would come in and say, hey, I want to I want to do sports psychology. And I say, OK, let's think about this. In five years, what would your job look like? What do you want out of this degree? And so I want to you know, consult with them. I want to work with elite athletes. I want to do this. I want to do that. I said, then you need to get a, a psychology degree so that you have so you're licensed to practice and you need to know sports psychology as the field okay so if you want to get a master's here and unfortunately i don't think we have a very strong um cooperative psychology department at boise state and i don't know if you would feel the same way but i don't think they have a master's they don't have a yeah they don't have the advanced degrees with the psych department yes because they all have private practices that they probably do and that probably shouldn't be quoted anytime i'm saying it but it's probably true um so So bottom line is we don't have the support to actually meet some of the requirements for certification. And so they either have to go someplace else. There's a couple of schools, I think, and then you has uh, a master's degree in counseling. But the bottom line is know what it is that you want to do. And one of the things when I mean, I love Dan, but I didn't want to be Dan. I wanted a life outside my academic position. And because I had one in my other academic position when I was a teacher, I had the whole summer to do what I wanted to do. So I wanted to make sure that I didn't get hired at a D1, you know, uh, R1, whatever institution so that there was going to be this expectation that I just had to write, publish, write, publish, write, publish. So I wanted a balance in what I did. Um, from, you know, from being a student to going into my professional ranks. So I think knowing what it is that you want out of a job, uh, out of consulting, 
Um, I always said I had a great consulting year if I had enough to pay for golf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that idea of like, know what you want to be doing and then figure out how that pathway is there. What, what pathway leads to that outcome? That's good. And that goes for choice of schools. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think making sure that when you're checking into a school, uh, number one, what is the reputation of the person in charge? Um, What can I learn? And I think that, again, is one of the things I've treasured the most of my experience. I don't know if I would have been doing what I'm doing had I not met Mo Weiss, Thelma Horn, Dan Gould early in my career um, that just turned me on to learning. Um, I could tell you a funny story about my 11th grade uh, uh, counselor. I don't know if I ever this one. No. So you go for that meeting and the person says, I, I think you should go to get some technical training. I go, oh, what? And she goes, yeah, because I don't think, yeah, I don't think you're going to make it through college. And I just went like, really? What would give you that idea? And she goes, well, you're, you got a 2.83 GPA and, you know, most schools. And I'm just going like, oh. I was planning to go to Henry Ford Community College. That's what I can afford. That's where I'm going to go. And I'll transfer to Michigan State, get my bachelor's degree, and then get a job. And so anyhow, it was just so funny because it just struck me. How can someone judge you when you're, what, 17, 16, 17, to tell you what you can and you can't do? And so I made sure I'm not a vindictive person. (laughs) <laughs> she got a graduation announcement from Michigan so, State. Oh. I went in and made sure that I introduced myself as Dr. Petlicka. <laughs> <my counselor>. <laughs> so, oh. But I mean, even even working with kids, like working with the first tee, and, and that's I've never mentioned anything about the first tee, but I think that in and of itself was an experience that I had working as a consultant for the first tee. We sold our program as sports psychology for kids. And everything we wrote was based on the research in sports psychology, in learning, and all of that. And I mean, it was somebody gave us a blank slate and we just made that all. I mean, we made that stuff up. And not only, and and we we pushed the envelope. Well, if you're going to have kids learn all this stuff, you may have to make sure that the coaches that they're hiring have the same practice or thought process. So we had parallel programs for the coaches and for the, for the kids and the coaches so that they were all on the same page of what they did. But that's all on the, based on the training and me applying that knowledge. Uh, Al Pettipaw, myself, um, Steve Danish was, uh, started uh, our connection with the first tee. Uh, Beth Brown, brought, uh, she's a CMPC. She um, she came in and she did a lot of the program development. So there's a lot of there's there's jobs that can be had um, being involved with different organizations as well. Hmm. Well, so your you know your story continues um, and your. <laughs> And your journey continues in terms of your, you know, your your impact and, and involvement in the field. Um, what do you hope 
when you sit back at some point in time and reflect on all the work that you've done and all the different roles that you've occupied, um, what, what do you hope your impact will be on the field? And we say, I say we say that or I say that very deliberately um, as opposed to what do you hope your impact was because it's not, you're not, it's not, it's not over. You know what I mean? There's still quite a bit, um, you know, that, that you're doing as most, as the case as, as is the case for most of the past presidents I'm finding. Um, what do you, what do you hope that will be? Realizing that what we have accomplished continues to elevate itself to be recognized as it should be. And, um, and like I said, I think where, where we see people coming into the association, into the field of sports psychology, um, I think they just want a little bit of a better world and kind of a, a calming existence through sport. And that's, and going back to the first T, I think that was what we found out. There are so many kids that are now directors of programs within, so they've taken what they learned as kids and promoted it. And now they're involved as the employees. So I think if you have that kind of continuity, so it kind of goes by, uh, for the for the young people that are coming to our conferences, I hope they're the people that end up being our leaders in the conference in in the organization, because then they've made a connection with something that is important in their lives, and and I think maybe that's where the continuity comes is, um, you know, something triggers you you get introduced to something and how do you let it all happen and be your life's ambition? I mean, that's, that's essentially what I think. And I'm not done yet. You're exactly right. I'm not done yet. I still teach with the first T for Idaho. And when you got kids, um, I'll give you one example. And there was this young man and he was a problem. <laughs> and then I figured out, I got to get to know this kid. And I actually talked to the parents. Is there anything I need to know about this kid? Blah, 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 blah. And then it was interesting that when you just cared about that individual, how it all changes. So if you ask the right questions, you get the answers. And then how do you work with that? And the two things I think that were the funniest conversation I had with this young man is he was uh, – I'm not a big person with labels. I'm going to tell you that right now. I don't like labels. Sometimes I think they're just an excuse. Sometimes they're a label that you either start to, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy or it becomes your, you know, demise, whatever you want to think about it. But once we start labeling people, I don't, I don't consider CMPC as a label. That's a credential that you earn, but labels that you're given are something that you got to deal with. If someone tells you you're ADHD, and I just said, yep, it's just a label. What are you going to do with it? And you know, and, and that's essentially what I told to this young man. And and then and then I said, and then he, the next week he comes in. Well, I, I'm high functioning autistic, and I go, it's another label. What are you going to do with it? There are so many people in this world that are so successful. 
And then I would name some people and everything like that. And he, oh, and all of a sudden he goes from this, oh, that's kind of <laughs> interesting. You know, and he changed her whole demeanor. You know, the stories about Michael Jordan, Jordan getting cut as a junior and, and from his basketball team. It's me being told I couldn't go to college. I mean, you know, all this other stuff. It's how do you get people to have the skills to actually direct their own lives as opposed to live what everybody else is telling you? Yeah. So What, what an empowering uh, way to... I think look at things in terms of how we interact with others. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Linda, we've talked about a lot of things today and we really appreciate your candidness and your openness to share and reflect on some of those things. What haven't we asked you about that you think is important to share either about the field, about ASP or anything else? Wow. I looked at that question and I kept on th trying to think of an answer for that one. Um, Did we do it right? And I think by doing it right means it's kind of like okay, I'm not going to get political, but it's kind of like the it's it's kind of like the Supreme Court. The Constitution is a living document. Everything that we've done in ASP is a living document. You go with the flow, you go with the times, you see if there's any changes that need to be made, and the interpretation of what's going on. And that's why I say the argument between mental health and mental performance are two things that they've been there all the time. They've been an underlying score of, I don't want I don't want to be so rude or giving away the field. I don't want to, I don't want to ever give away the field that I came through. I know sport. I wish I knew more, but when I was in school, that, that pathway to practice wasn't as defined as it is now. So I think making sure that we continue to evolve but commit to our field in a way that it doesn't undermine it. Hmm. So That's great. I think that's a Wonderful way to to wrap up what has been an incredible afternoon with uh, Dr. Linda Petlikoff. We are so grateful for your time. Um, we don't want to. We could keep going, I think, um, for sure. But we want to make sure that because um, it's two hours. I think uh, you're two hours behind where I am, so that's at least nine holes. Uh, probably. <laughs> so not when you play with us. We're uh, we're <laughs> one hour and forty five minutes. Uh, so you, <laughs> I just want to make sure that you still get the rest of your afternoon. Um, but thank you, Linda, so much for for your time today, for for all that you've done for um, for Aspen for the field, and um, like I said, you know earlier. Gosh, I wish. I wish I had more time on the council with you um, to be able to work, you know, together uh, more than we were able to. But what a what a pleasure and what a privilege it was. Um, and I will say, you know, um, that group is in great hands. There's so many wonderful individuals on there, and um, to have you in that group too, I think, is such a um, that's a big deal. I think for the organization and for the field because of all of you take everything that you've been so generous and kind and sharing with us this afternoon to know that that all is going into each zoom meeting or each room when you all get together and, and have those you know important discussions 
um, that adds such an important um, perspective and, and dynamic, um, and, and, and so we are in such good hands and have been in, in such good hands because of all that you've done for us. So thank you so much for, for, for everything. My pleasure. Yeah, and I would echo, I think one thing that really reflects on this whole interview process is is just thinking that I think one thing that I've really recognized through this and then through past experiences is you've always tried to make things better for the next person, whether it be the management group, whether it be anything, whether it be a Boise State, which I've been able to to reap that, that benefit. And so um, I really appreciate your perspective. I appreciate the way you've you've gone in the field. I loved when you talked about the field being kind of a mess and yet you still wanted to be a president. I think that speaks to your devotion and that you're still involved in such a high level is just a service to the to to really the field as a whole and to ASP as an organization. So um, on behalf of the team, I just want to say we've asked, Dr. Linda Petlikoff has answered, and we will see you all next time.